The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed. Welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. I always tell you you are, and I haven't let you down in five years and over a thousand shows here on the Business Channel. What's the buzz today? Well, we've got a serious buzz. I found a quote from Parker Trewin, T-R-E-W-I-N, Senior Director of Content and Communications at ARIA Systems. Listen to this. The IoT, Internet of Things, is big news because it ups the ante. Reach out and touch somebody, in quotes, is becoming, quote, reach out and touch everything. What are we talking about? Well, of course, IoT, Internet of Things, and that's what this series is all about. We know, you know, I know, everyone knows that the IoT is all about connecting machines and devices and sensors. We talk about this in some way, shape, or form on almost all of our Game Changer series. But we have a question that hasn't been answered in a long time, if ever. Connecting them to what? Come on, look at it. They're connecting something, but something has to happen to make it all come together. Think about this. Data from an airliner, data from a factory floor, data from a weather station, data from anywhere, from cars on the road. They have to find their way to applications, applications that are running in the cloud. It could be a vendor-hosted cloud, could be a private cloud, whatever kind of cloud you fancy. But it ultimately has to provide useful information mined from that data that impacts our daily lives, whether it's as a consumer, private citizen, as a worker, as a company owner, whoever you are, wherever you are. This data has to do something for you. How does that all happen? Well, if you look at the end-to-end journey of the IoT data, there's an Internet portion, and we need to know what in the heck is going on? What actually happens? Are there little gremlins sitting there saying, yeah, we'll put this together with this and we'll sew this together, we'll stitch this up, and then bingo, something will happen better in the world. I don't think it's gremlins. I think it's pretty smart people who figured this out, and that's who we have on our panel today. <laughs> Pardon the segue there. So first up, in a moment, I'll be introducing you to a newcomer to Game Changers. He's Jason Sphalos, S-F-A-E-L-O-S. I think I'm pronouncing it right. He's the Senior Manager of Strategic Business Development at Equinix, E-Q-U-I-N-I-X, and he'll tell us a little bit about his company. And joining him on the panel, of course, is the sponsor of this series, Ira Burke, VP of Digital Transformation Solutions within the SAP HANA Global Center of Excellence. Ira is always welcome on his own panel, on his own show, so we're happy to have him here. So let's see what Jason has sent us for an opening quote. Oh, this is a good one. We love movie quotes, and Jason has found a quote from a movie I've never heard of until I had to look it up. The movie is Joe versus the Volcano. 1999, the cast included Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. She played three 
female parts. Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack, anybody remember him? Abe Vigoda, he's recently left us. Dan Hedaya, uh, we have Ossie Davis, Amanda Plummer, Nathan Lane. Oh, my goodness, what a cast. I'm just going to tell you all to look it up. It sounds like a very interesting kind of a morality tale. So here is the quote that was said in the movie by Meg Ryan in one of her three roles, this time as Patricia Grainamore. It could be her hairdresser said, Patricia, be gray no more. I don't know. But here's the quote. Almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. Only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. Jason, how did I do on the quote? Did that sound at all? Not as chirpy as Meg Ryan, but did I do it justice, Jason Sphalos? I think you did a great job. Thank you. You're very kind. You're very kind. I'm going to ask Kevin to bump up Jason's volume on the mic just a little bit. You're a little bit low for me. So welcome, Jason. You're new to Game Changers. We're delighted to have you. I know you're a busy guy. Tell me, are you a big fan of the movie Joe versus the Volcano? And how did you find this quote? And more important, how does it relate to our topic? <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. And it's great to be here. I uh, certainly loved your Gremlins reference, uh, kicking things off. <laughs> Thank I'll you. tell you, this movie has been one of my favorites for a long time, and I've always enjoyed quoting it long before you can search for any quote you wanted on Google. You actually had to rely on your memory. But, you know, this movie holds one of those special places in my heart. It's a cult classic, and I feel vastly underappreciated, and certainly one of the better performances by Tom and Meg. The statement itself, quite honestly, it captures my view of the world, Mm. especially the technological one. You know, so many people on the outside. They're, they're users of technology, but they're not necessarily in the weeds. And even those of us who work in the industry, we're so head down working at breakneck paces that we sometimes miss the amazing advances that our society is experiencing on, quite frankly, what feels like a daily basis now. You know, in those rare moments when you have a few minutes of downtime, you know, whether you're standing at a street corner you know, waiting for an Uber or you're sitting at an airport terminal waiting for your next flight, hopefully enjoying a cup of coffee in the park, just sit back for a second. You know, open your eyes to the transformations going on around us. Um, you know, IoT, which I know is the topic, I feel is a great example of both new and existing technology that is now being leveraged in different ways that will continually amaze us uh, you know, those who benefit from it directly, those who are creating it. it you know, to bring it back to the quote, only a few people are awake to the potential IoT is going to bring. And you know, I believe we're only now starting to scratch the surface of its potential. Very well put, Jason. And I was so intrigued to read about the movie. I have Netflix. Do you think I could find the movie on Netflix? <laughs> I think stars- that was uh, subtle enough where it may not even show up on Netflix. It may not, and stars online. I have stars encore as part of my cable package. I'll, I'll see if I can find it somewhere. I'll, I'm not willing to start a new subscription for something, but I really would like to see it. It sounds like a very clever, and I think it was a morality tale. But interestingly enough, it didn't do very well at the box office. Even though you bought, I know you saw it about fifty times, and you brought all your friends and neighbors with you. I, I heard that through the grapevine, Jason. But it said it has since become a cult film. So there, it found its place in the sun. Jason, such a pleasure, and thank you so much. And you are right. How many people really know what's going on, especially behind the scenes? And that made me do a quick look up here on How Stuff Works. There's a website called science.howstuffworks.com. And I think people are trying to say we need to 
pull back that curtain. Some people say open the kimono and look and see what's really going on. So thank you very much, Jason. A lot more interesting things coming from you during the show. And now let me welcome back Ira Burke, who sponsors this series. Ira, I think this is season three, season four. You just keep coming back for more because who doesn't want to talk about IoT? So Ira Burke is the VP of Digital Transformation Solutions within the HANA Global Center of Excellence at SAP. That's a mouthful, long business card. Ira has sent us a very humorous quote. I couldn't stop laughing when I read it, and I'm having trouble right now. It's a quote from Milton Berle. Now, our young listeners all over the world, I know how young you probably are, don't have a clue whom Uncle, who he was called Uncle Milty. He was also called Mr. Television during TV's golden age. He was born Mendel Berlinger or Berlinger at, in 1908 and lived till 2002. He was an American comedian and actor. He was the first major American TV star known to millions as Uncle Milty. Interestingly, Ira, I don't know if you know this, Milton Berle entered show business at age five when he won an amateur talent contest. He appeared in lots of silent films, starting with the Perils of Pauline, filmed in Fortley, New Jersey. Oh, my. He made his stage debut in 1920, and he had a vaudeville act. And then he, I got to tell you this, Ira, television set sales more than doubled after Texaco Star Theater's debut, reaching 2 million sales in 1949. So Burl was considered the first superstar, and that's why they called him Mr. Television. Oh, the memories. I do remember him. Here's the quote. Everybody sit back and listen. It's going to make you laugh. We owe a lot to Thomas Edison. If it wasn't for him, we'd be watching television by candlelight. I'm sorry. <laughs> How could you do this to me, Ira Burke? <laughs> Welcome, Ira. How are you? I'm good, Bunny, and, uh, and, and, and thanks for the background on, on Milton Berle, who we now know was a good technology forecaster as well as, uh, as a comedian. Right? The, that's uh, that's the right, and you know, I found from Milton Berle. when you think of people uh, being the, the pioneers in TV, Lucille Ball was one because she had, I think, one of the first live shows with three cameras and a live studio audience, and that was considered bold, but Uncle Milty certainly paved the way for her to get there. So it is a technology quote. It mentions Thomas Edison. It mentions TV and candlelight. So, Ira, you have to relate this to IoT for me and for Jason because we're wondering, what in the world is he thinking? Go ahead. Well, so, so obviously he looked back and saw how, how crazy sometimes our predictions can be, right? And, uh, and the idea that things would progress along the, the trend that they're going now is, you know, of course, is just wrong. Uh, and he couldn't make that more clear, right? So, yeah, so, so he uses a, uh, a, a great example. You know, who, who knows what would have happened if something like television came along before a light bulb, right? And, uh, you know, people, people don't know. Look, there were, there were fax machines that were transmitted over telegraphs. Some of these things find their way through unusual uh, technologies in, in early times. And we are in early times when it comes to uh, the IoT. So it's, uh, I, I chose it just because it's a little bit jarring and gets us thinking a little bit about how things might unfold in this space and what things are going to become really important. And, and honestly, I think today as we go through our uh, topic, we'll find things that we never thought would be so important that now become critical to the uh, successful delivery of IoT. Thank you, Ira. Eloquent as always. My question for you, and Jason mentioned this when I uh, welcomed him a few moments ago. Gremlins, do you think they're gremlins tying up all these sensors to all of these data stores, to all of these background machinations that are making things happen? What do you think? Or is it really uh, I smart think you're people? Not to tell anybody. The answer is yes, but, but don't say that. We're going to make it sound much more technical. 
Okay. All right. We we yeah. Maybe we will dip our toe in the weeds. Thank you very much. Exactly. I'm going to circle back to Jason's Phalos. And Jason, we have a little segment called "What's in Your Cup Today." We just want to get a little bit up close and personal. No, don't give us the Google coordinates of the roof of your house or office. So, where are you calling from, Jason? And what are you drinking that makes you happy? If nothing today, tell us what you'd rather be drinking. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> Uh, well, today I'm calling in from my office in Ashburn, Virginia, uh, which is in the D.C. metro area, the Virginia suburbs. And uh, as for my coffee, I'm definitely a coffee drinker each morning. That just seems to be <laughs> where we are in life. Um, and today I'm thankful to be drinking actually my favorite coffee. I made sure to brew it for the occasion, Blue Mountain Coffee from Jamaica. And I may be drinking it here in my office but when I drink that coffee, I feel like I'm back on the beach with the view of that beautiful blue ocean. And, of course, now that I'm saying that out loud, I really wish I was actually sitting on that beach taking this call. <laughs> well, we'd probably hear the roar of the ocean in the back and tell you, Jason, go inside where we don't have to listen to the background and get very, very jealous. Thank you, Jason. Nice to have you. And Ira, where are you today? I know you're getting ready to travel far, far, far away, but where are you sitting right now? So today I am calling in from Stamford, Connecticut, so just outside New York City, um, with, with an empty cup. What would you like to put in the cup, Ira? We'll call the waiter and, and tell him what to put in the cup. What, what is he going to be bringing you? Well, it's a good question, right? I figure I got past my limit of, uh, of three cups of, uh, of coffee this morning, so it's time to stop and uh, think about what would be healthy before you go on a long, long trip, and it's probably not drinking more coffee. So uh, maybe water would be just fine okay. right now. Well, you're like me. Where are you going, by the way? Um, so next week is the Mobile World Conference, the Mobile World Congress, uh, the, uh, one of the largest telecommunications conferences in the world. Uh, I'll be there together with our uh, delegation from, from SAP uh, in Barcelona. That sounds very, very exciting. So have a good trip. Yes, there was some talk a couple months ago about bringing Game Changers Radio to Barcelona, but there wasn't enough set-up time, so I had Maybe to pass we'll on that. Maybe bring you back a report. Oh, that would be nice. Maybe we'll do it next year. Thank you very much, Ira. Jason and Ira, I am not allowed to have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, so the coffee's sitting in the other room waiting for later. It's a double show day. Right now we're on Internet of Things with Game Changers, 2 p.m. Eastern this afternoon. I'll be back here on the Business Channel with Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, and that's about SMEs, and we'll be talking about a balancing act of traditional and social marketing for small to mid-sized businesses. So all they let me have is water, Jason, and it's in a cool, clear mug. It's a cool, clear cup, cool, clear water with a yellow straw, and the yellow straw, I got to pick the color, is because the sun has gone bye-bye behind the clouds here on Long Island, and I'm hoping the sun will come back later, and I'm not going to burst out in a chorus of Annie's, the sun will come out tomorrow, because we hope it comes out today. So there. So we are talking about a very serious topic looking behind the curtain internet of things interconnections to what how does all the magic happen whether you like it or not whether you think you're a benefactor of all of this technology all of these things swirling around sensors that are communicating a lot of information about you for you to you from you it's amazed and you're going to be amazed to pull a piece out of the quote that we had from jason from joe versus the volcano we're going to be right back and we're going to do a really deep dive into our topic. So, Internet of Things with Game Changers, we're going to take our first and only break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Exactly. Here we are talking with Jason Cephalos at Equinex and Ira Burke at SAP. Our topic is the Internet of Things, interconnections to what? Before we get started with our deep dive in the roundtable, Jason, would you please just give us a 60-second elevator conversation or a little uh, monologue on what Equinex does, please? Of course. So Equinix was started in the late 90s as the Internet itself started to expand. And it's really related to interconnection that is part of the topic of today's call, where carriers needed to start sharing packets with one another to make sure the Internet could grow. Once they began sharing information, content providers came, others came, ecosystems were built. So our data center capabilities that are global in nature we're one of the biggest global data center companies in the world, is focused predominantly around connecting businesses to one another, making sure that they can actually exchange information and grow together, growing new ecosystems and new businesses. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciate that. Now let's dive into our roundtable. I'm looking at the notes you sent me, and here's a rather pithy comment that will get us started. You say, helping companies understand connecting and sharing data with other companies is a big challenge that also holds the key to their greatest value. Let me read one more sentence. You say, interconnection, as it relates to the IoT, Internet of Things, isn't just about connecting devices to your core. It's about connecting that data with the right resources internally and externally. Jason, please tell us more. Sure. And, you know, similar to the intro about where Equinix came from, yes, you need to connect these endpoints, these sensors, these sometimes smart devices, sometimes very simple dumb devices that are on, off, good, bad, to something because you have to transmit that data. That's paramount. But what happens after that? After companies start ingesting this data, if they're not doing the right things with it at the right time, 
it's useless. Data that is not analyzed in a timely fashion does not benefit anyone. And what does that really mean? When we talk about moving that data back and forth, it's about making sure that once a company brings this information in-house, wherever that may be located, that they can, first of all, analyze it. Can, do they have the power internally, whether it's inherent in their own capabilities that they've built, whether it is part of some, let's say, hybrid cloud architecture that they're leveraging different service providers to do real-time analytics, big data analysis, whatever it might be. They need to make sure that they understand what's coming in the door, can parse it properly to understand what do I need to look at now in the moment? What perhaps do I not need to look at now but is more part of a trend analysis? And then when you think about some of these businesses that are out there, some of these, let's just take connected cars, for example. Mm -hmm. Ford, they have the car. They have the ability to collect a massive amount of data from the car itself. But it's it's not just Ford. It's all their subsequent suppliers that make that car what it is. It's the person who built the transmission. It's the tires on the car. It's... The cam- I don't know enough about cars to actually go down a litany of list mm-hmm. of, of all the components, but each one of those items has the ability to generate information, and they are going to need to understand what that data generation looks like so that they, in turn, can improve their products, their processes, which then drives value back to Ford in the long run, using them as the example, because they will then be able to build a better car which creates a better customer experience, better satisfaction, more business. So it's that interrelation of vendors who perhaps in previous generations, you know, we were taught, hold your corporate information close to the vest. Mm-hmm. Don't share it. That is your That's advantage. Right. That's not the case anymore. You know, the, the advent of cloud really started breaking down those barriers you know, the sh- we always hear about the sharing economy, and obviously that has a different connotation. Uh, but when it comes to data, it very much holds true. We saw that in cloud. IoT is going to smash that initial concept of hold everything close. For IoT to function, it's about everyone doing their part in the service chain, doing it well, and doing it in an open manner. Very interesting, very, very provocative, and you, you've certainly posed a, presented a challenge here to companies about this. Ira Burke, love to get your thoughts, and I have some questions for Jason, but I will wait. Um, no, so I think, I think Jason is absolutely right. We've got this, um, this great opportunity that we really, that we don't understand all that well, right, about how we pull these different sources of information together, uh, both from, uh, from a technical perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk about some more, but, uh, but also from a business, business value perspective, right, when we start not only to identify the different kinds of data that are available, but to be smart about how we combine them and what um, analytic tools we put on top of them to extract value from that information. We can make all kinds of new discoveries, new services, things that weren't uh, possible before. Right? So we, we've seen this on, uh, on websites, right? just with a simple concept like uh, mashups. Right? So uh, I have to tell you, I haven't, I haven't seen this till today. Maybe some people who are listening have seen this before. Um, I went today to pick the room in the hotel that I'm going to uh, check in when, when I arrive. And the way that I picked the room on, uh, on the hotel app uh, was uh, they actually had a map that was embedded in a Google map. And you zoom into Google map, and there's a map of my floor in the hotel. 
and then in that floor, you can click on the room and you can see what direction that room is, where the view is, how large it is relative to the other rooms, right? So just mashing up the information about the rooms in a hotel with the map of the, of the world where those rooms are sitting gives you information that, that was never easily available before when you were making a reservation. And imagine how much more true that is when we're talking about information coming from the components of the car, the components of a plane, or other parts of a uh, transportation network, just to pick an example. Thank you, Ira. Uh, Jason, I want you to respond, but my, my question before you do is, is this the job? Whose job is it? Is it the job in a company of a data scientist? Is it a job of the, the COO or the CTO? Is it the job of the man or woman who owns IT? Whose job is it to say, wait a minute, we have this car, we've got these sensors. Yeah, let's hook up the tires to that. Yeah, let's hook up the fan belt to that. Yeah, let's hook up the oil to that. Let's hook up the gas tank to that. And let's add some weather, weather responsive sensors. And let's just not tell people what time it is, but maybe, um, maybe what the temperature is 15 miles ahead so they know whether to put a coat on when they get out of the car. I don't know. I'm making this up. So Jason and then Ira, whose job is it to imagine all of these interconnections and then help a company make them happen? It just doesn't happen in the old business plan from 20, 30 years ago. We know that. So Jason, what do, what do you think? Who is it? It's everyone. Every And you use some great examples there because what you're describing is the personal experience. So the micro level of how IoT can impact the individual, which in the end is the reason why we're doing all this. Yes, of course, it's to generate business value. Otherwise, none of us are going to be in business. But if you're not deriving value to the individual, they are going to be less likely to, let's say, take part in our little IoT experiment that we see today. And you think about along the lines, I mentioned earlier, the service chain. The, each individual element of that is going to have different players. So, you know, from our point of view, you, know, you mentioned what is the data center's aspect of it. To me, it's about enabling. You know, we're not going out and negotiating agreements so we can make sure that a car company is also talking to the Weather Channel, who's talking to uh, the, you know, the Department of Transportation and whatnot. But what we make sure exists is the ability for them to be exchanging that data in a highly efficient manner. So then the question is, okay, you go look at a different aspect. You want to make sure that that car company is perhaps exchanging data, both directions, with the weather channel, with the weather company, Mm -hmm. because they have weather sensors that down the road are showing that it's raining. Oh, and it's not just raining, it's freezing rain. They want, we will reach a point where that type of data will very quickly be transferred depending on the data type. You know, is it a real-time requirement versus long-term as discussed before? And very similar to, I think we saw it, I can actually, I don't know how many years ago now because I'm quite frankly not sure what year it is today anymore. But <laughs> I think we saw it years ago where, you know, content owners, you started having as standard parts of an agreement of a contract who owns the content? Is it traditional content? Is it digital content? All of that became lined out as very specific elements of contracts. I think over time, you will start seeing digital, digital data, you know, IoT-related data, to be very much a standard element in any enterprise contract, you know, whether it's the service provider, 
whether it's the consumer, that is going to become just, just standard because that's the only way that if we can obtain and share the data with the right sources that we're going to derive that value. Thank you, Jason. Ira, get your thoughts, please. Whose job is uh, look, it? Do you I, agree I, with I, Jason? I think you're right. I think the better we get at sharing the rights to content and having a, you know, a simple framework for agreements in place, the easier it's going to be to be creative. Um, another really important part of this is doing what you can in your own organization to make as much information available as possible so the creative people that you have working with you or for you um, are empowered to, uh, to put things together in new ways, to experiment and see what works. There's a, there's a lot yet to be uh, discovered, uh, kind of like Milton Berle told us, um, that, uh, that will only come if we give people access to as much information as we can and the tools to, uh, to, to make it useful, to make it interesting, and to share it with other people who can derive value from it. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Jason. I'm going to move on to some comments from Ira Burke's notes. And Ira is um, referencing a very interesting book that came out a few years ago. The book is actually, it was 2015, seems forever ago, Ira. Flash Boys, A Wall Street Revolt. Let me read what Ira said. He said, the topic of interconnections gained attention in the media. Oh, it was a 2014 publication of Michael Lewis's book, Flash Boys. He described how the speed of connections between stock market and bond traders and their markets, even tiny, tiny differences measured in milliseconds, made it possible to place trades based on information about pending orders that have not yet been executed. I remember the book created quite a splash. A lot of people denied that it was true. There were all kinds of appearances from Michael Lewis and people rebutting what he said. So talk to me, interconnections, how did this bring the book bring this to the forefront? So people said, what? Talk to me. Yeah, so I, th- I think this is one of the uh, the first times that this became a uh, a kind of broadly discussed topic. Is just how long does it take for information to travel from one place to another uh, over over any network, over the internet, over a private network, over you know whether over a, a private connection that was carefully weaved from Chicago to uh, to New York. All right, How, however those connections happen, we don't always think about what happens uh, under the covers, right? So, I mean, you, know, you, you mentioned gremlins earlier on. I'm not sure, I'm not entirely sure that, it, that it's done by gremlins, but, but we have to think about um, how long it takes for, um, for information to travel from one part of the, uh, of the Internet, one part of the globe, uh, to, to another. Um, you know, uh, the speed of light seems pretty fast, but it actually provides a limitation. Right now, Michael Lewis talked about how it gives, uh, you know, how, how it might have given a competitive advantage to some people over others, and they wound up um, solving that problem by actually increasing uh, the distance by putting a giant coil of cable in between uh, some of the traders and their systems so that they have to travel further and slow down a little bit, create a more of a balanced playing field. Uh, but when we're thinking about the IoT, right, everything in the IoT is traveling across some physical distance um, on the Internet. And that physical distance makes a difference. How long does it take for information to get from a sensor to the system where that sensor's information is going to be useful? Uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit in an earlier topic when we talked about computing at the edge and how much you can mm-hmm. do with sensor information before it travels any place, right? right when it's at the place where it's captured. But thinking about that in a, in a richer way, what happens at each stage along its journey uh, also is a fascinating topic that, that we need to think about if we're going to deliver the performance and the capabilities that people expect from, uh, from IoT. 
Thank you very much. I love the reference to Flash Boys, and I'll go back to Jason's Phalos at Equinix. Jason, did you read the book, hear about the book? What are your thoughts? Do you agree that this was one of the, the debuts of interconnections as a media topic? I absolutely agree with it, and I will admit I haven't read the book only because, uh, you know, one of my first careers out of college, I, I did work as a bond trader. So, so I tend to actually avoid the books written about the industry only because very often there's some sort of slant I may not agree with, and I prefer just to stay out of it since I've moved on from that industry. But that's, you know, personal. As it relates to the concept, what Michael Lewis talked about in Flash Boys and really the high-frequency trading capabilities, full believer in that. I mean, that's where we look at the Secaucus area, you know, outside... New York City, you know, that is where basically all the money, <laughs> all the exchanges are trading. And each one of them looked at ways to determine how can I get my edge? How can I get that advantage, even if it is a couple microseconds? Because that can make all the difference in the world in terms of being able to beat out another trade. If you look at the way trading used to take place, and I'll admit, you know, it was when I was there. Mm-hmm. You needed, you wanted to make a trade. You had to pick up a phone. You had to call down to the floor broker to be able to ask to buy a certain issue or sell your issue and then hope that they can then relay it to someone else so that transaction takes place. That sounds archaic when you think yeah. about what is taking place with high-frequency trading. And that relates all to proximity. The ability to have those direct links between those two endpoints to shrink down to the greatest possibility that delay, that latency. As Ira mentioned, speed of light is finite. You cannot yet get around that. So how do you do it? You do it with proximity. You do it by changing the architecture that you have had in place for most likely decades. In fact, if I can, there's a quote uh, from 451 Research Uh, one of their analysts that talked about how interconnection, and this relates not just to high-frequency trading, but IoT and everything else, it is going to be a blueprint for the new interconnected enterprise. It's that it's critical for business today, yet most organizations have a network architecture that was set up years ago and no longer meets the requirements of the modern hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, and mobile environment. It is only through interconnection with multiple clouds and networks in central locations like data centers that a highly useful option can exist when updating that network architecture. Thank you, Jason. I want to go back to Ira. Ira, any thoughts on what Jason just shared, bouncing off of your uh, introduction of the Flash Boys book concept? Uh, no, I mean just the, the the idea of location and proximity becomes really, really important. You need to give careful thought in your design, and this is something that that hasn't always been true, right? I mean, you're, you're obviously going back in time, whether you're trading, yeah, you know, by picking up a telephone, or uh, maybe the first time I programmed it was by taking a telephone and dropping the handset into a teletype machine and seeing if it could find its way out to a computer someplace, right? The, this this speed matters, and the location of what you're doing really matters more than ever. Um, nowhere more than in IoT, right? Because we know that if, if sensor information is going to be useful, the sensors are going to be dispersed someplace, right? We need to be able to gather that information, and you need to give thought as, as an architect, as a designer, uh, to where your critical communications are going to happen, where your critical usage is going to happen, 
happen and what data needs to be brought together in the same place and who it belongs to. Is it yours? Is it someone else's? And how mm-hmm. close can you make it so that analysis and value can be generated quickly? Right? This, uh, this idea of the location becomes all of a sudden a very important design criteria. Thank you very much. I'm going to move back to go to another topic from Jason's list because we have plenty of time here. Jason, here's an interesting idea. We've been talking about adding value, and I think we've been talking about it from the business perspective. So let's expand that. You say it's imperative that the industry, I assume you're talking about the industry of IoT, if such a thing exists, and you'll clarify that for me in a minute, please. It's imperative the industry continues to innovate and be creative. Here comes the the nut here. In finding new ways to drive value, not just to the businesses, but to the users who are generating the data. So this is going back to the source. Jason, can you expand, explain, tell us more about this, please? Sure. You know, very often, especially when we work in technology, get very excited and enamored with our own creations because we work in it. We see it. It's it's got great use because it's part of IoT or it's part of technology. But we sometimes lose sight of what the end user cares about, the one who's not enamored just by the fact that they get to own the latest and greatest little connected shirt. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, there was an article that was satirical in nature called "The Internet of Useless Things," which mm-hmm. created a website that talks about, you know, phony gadgets, uh, a wearable that sends a farewell tweet to your followers after your heart stops beating. Oh, you know, oh, 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 oh! I mean, my it's God, all please. Yeah, Sorry, it's all satirical, oh. but it is oh. a definite slippery slope where you have to question you know, do we need we need to keep focus on what is going to matter to the individual it's not just about let's see how many sensors and connected items we can throw out into the world it's making sure that those items can keep pace with the value so making sure the value excuse me to the end user can mm-hmm. keep pace with the availability of those things and there's so much potential out there, but it's a matter of staying focused. Uh, I, I read recently that, uh, I think it was in Business Insider, that companies are going to spend uh, almost $5 trillion on IoT alone between 2016 and 2021. $5 trillion. That's more than the GDP of every country on earth except the U.S. and China. And we just need to make sure that they're focusing them on the correct things, that which those that will be using them will continue to see and understand, oh, okay, this is why this is benefiting me. This is why, in a way, I am giving up some of my privacy, which is you know, one of those items that sometimes gets discussed and how privacy in itself is eroding. You need to continue to drive value back to them so they can appreciate why they are going in this direction as an industry, as a society. Wow, that was quite a number you just quoted there. Very, very interesting. Yes, and and, uh, we're going to be doing a show next week on our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers, on whatever you think about the ethics or the etiquette of data 
who owns it? Who owns our data? Once we have sensors either in us, on us, around us, what we're talking about today with Ira and Jason, who owns the data? What is the etiquette? Does technology have no morality and, and no morals at all? Is your data accessible? Do you want it to be accessible? It's a huge topic, and, and it relates to a lot of what we're talking about today. Ira, thoughts on what Jason just shared, and especially that huge number, $5 trillion on IoT between 2016 and 2021. Ira, thoughts on this? Are they overspending or underspending? Yeah. No, the, num- the numbers are huge, right? There's a, there's, this is opening a brand new tremendous opportunity that we're, that we're only beginning to uh, understand. I mean, it's, it's funny how this show, um, I, I don't think we've had a single episode where we didn't come back to the question of privacy, right? It's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's always pervading everything we do. You have great information that adds value the more it's shared, but the more it's shared, you need to think about uh, where ownership lies, where security and control lies, and how much can be shared and what you're giving up as, a, uh, as an individual. Um, actually, I think one of the uh, one of the models that uh, that we might look at is in um, you know music entertainment, where uh, the whole infrastructure around the rights to creative material um, it may not be perfect, but it's very well defined and very carefully controlled. And so the the idea of you know ownership of the rights of uh, copyrighted content may um, may be something that gets applied also to the rights and ownership of data. That there's a place um, centralized, standardized, where you can buy within and, and agree to the rules related to using information or data. Maybe, maybe Bonnie, that's a topic we can go into in a future show is about the, the rights for information that we're sharing, uh, pulling together because the, uh, it, it, it's something that's not very well defined, that's a little bit haphazard, that's extremely different from uh, country to country and region mm-hmm. to region around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, as we improve the technology to interconnect ourselves, we also create new opportunities that need to be addressed from an ethical and, uh, and from legal perspective. I just got a homework assignment for you, Mr. Ira Burke. As soon as the mm-hmm. show is over, I'm giving you five minutes for a coffee break, and then you're going to start planning that show and send me the abstract while it's fresh in your mind because it is a great idea for IoT as well. We're, we're, we are covering that on so many of our series. Thank you. I'm looking at some more of Ira Burke's notes, and uh, Jason, you might be intrigued that Ira is, sent me some quotes and information from an Equinix white paper called Changing the Way We Collaborate with an Interconnection-Oriented architecture. So I'm going to throw this one over to Ira and then we'll have Jason comment. And what what intrigues me is Ira quotes the paper saying, it says, the workplace is evolving rapidly from a physical workspace with rigid boundaries, we've all worked in offices like that, to a borderless global digital collaborative environment. So Ira, is this a good thing? Is a bad thing? What does it really mean? What, What does it really, really mean? Well, so first of all, right, let's, I mean, let's, the, the workplace really has changed. I mean, uh, so, so, so myself included, and you know, how, how many people are working um, as a regular course of business or working remotely uh, on a day-to-day basis compared to 5, 10, 15, or 20 years ago? Right? Our, our expectation is that the workplace is defined much more by, uh, by interconnections between, uh, between electronic devices than it is by the physical walls of a building. Uh, but... We also know that that brings its own uh, headaches, right? Not everything works every place. Some things are, are, are slow. Some things are too slow. Um, one, one, one place where this really hit home for me is uh, I was uh, traveling uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, three, four years ago, in uh, South Africa. And, you know, you're a place that's so um, isolated from the rest of the Internet, not because it's not connected, but because it's slow and sometimes unresponsive and, and, and unpredictable. And you take things for granted. We can always connect into 
cloud, we can always access the information that we need. But then you realize that depending on where you are in the world and what your communication environment is, man, it's, it's not always so simple. And it requires a little forethought and planning if you expect stuff to, uh, to work correctly. And so we've evolved, I think, pretty quickly to this virtual working environment. But sometimes we need to go back and say, hey, have we got everything set up correctly? Do we really have um, the right pieces deployed in the right location? Do we really know what belongs on my um, mobile device, what belongs on my laptop, what belongs in a server, and what needs to be in between to make that work quickly? Um, and that's something that we need to uh, that we need to start thinking about when we think about the interconnections um, and the uh, you know point to point nature of the real internet that uh, that we use every day. You say we we need to start thinking about Ira. Who is the we? Is it that gremlin I described in the opening? Is it somebody <laughs> behind the scenes? Is it the Wizard of Oz? The Wizard of IoT? Who is it? Why don't you tackle that and let's get Jason to tackle? Who is the we who needs to start thinking? It's great to say we. You know the corporate. You know the hospital. We we will bend over and take our shot. Now you know the you know the hospital. We. Well, well part, but, part of it is just that who's who's on the hook for making stuff work right. So maybe maybe yeah. it's your company IT department that needs to think about where do I need to have a, a point of presence in the world, right? Where do I need to make sure that somebody can connect relatively quickly, not over a long distance, and get the assets that they need? And what do I need to put there for them? Um, maybe it is a somebody providing a global service, whether it's something, you know, very large with a lot of data like Netflix or even smaller apps, right? Think about, you know, what, what's on the other end of that connection. I see it working in my phone. I know somehow it's going to the cloud. Uh, but what needs to be close to me? What needs to be running on the phone? And if I'm designing an app, right? If I if I want if I want to build an app and I want to put the the intelligence behind that app on the cloud, right? Can I just put that up on a server and send anybody an IP address and I'm done? Or mm-hmm. do I need to think about um, having a point of presence of that application in uh, on, on every continent or in every major metropolitan area or something in between? Right, so things that a that a individual developer may not have been thinking about so much before, right, or things that a corporate IT department may not have been thinking about so much before. Now you need to think about their journey from where your people are physically located, what are the steps along the way, and where's the information asset they're trying to get to. Okay, Jason Sphalos at Equinix. What do you think? Whose job is it? Is it your job today, Jason, to think about all this or tomorrow? It's absolutely our job today uh, to think about this. And that, quite frankly, when you think about the way our company tends to work with the enterprise, actually not just the enterprise, but service providers as well, that's one of the biggest questions that we try to talk through with them. Uh, Now, when it comes to who specifically within that company, that will, I believe, absolutely vary based on the type of project you're talking about. I think Ira hit it on the head. Are you talking about a team that is looking to enable a new app that will interface with their mobile workforce? Or is it a company that is doing some sort of massive network WAN 2.0 redesign as a way to properly distribute to their end users that are in offices, that are in uh, mobile environments, or that they are trying to create a new service paradigm that enables, let's say, the onboarding of private connectivity to enable uh, real-time analytics. All of that will vary, but it is something that every company today is dealing with. You know, the old methodology of 
okay, I'm an enterprise company, I'm a service provider, I'm going to go to my uh, network provider and I'm going to get my MPLS circuits in a whole bunch of places with a couple IP ports and go. No, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, And the carriers themselves, they're redesigning how they deliver services to their customers to make sure that they can continue to provide the most uh, high-performing capabilities that meet those demands. Uh, You're talking about this transformation that's taking place that will force distributed, you know, multi-application workflow that requires hybrid cloud footprints at an edge that will, you know, centralize and simplify your security. So, you know, you have all these users going, uh, traveling throughout the world, and they still need to come back to the corporate environment. How is that taking place? Is that going to be everywhere? Are you centralizing their entrance point for, you know, whether it's the simple VPN or other capabilities? Uh, you have to make sure that the performance for those end users, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, traveling to certain parts of the world, you know, it will vary, but users don't, don't tolerate that anymore. They expect the same performance whether they are sitting in their office, sitting in their home, sitting in the airport, doesn't matter. They expect the business-critical applications they rely on to work no matter where they are. So you have to determine, you know, how do you enable those application architectures to make sure that you maintain that performance? You know, how do you simplify your cloud connectivity to make sure that you are able to leverage service providers that are going to allow you to build better products, to serve your customers, to serve your employees? And then what is the speed of those connections? You, know, you do all of this to connect to integrate, mm-hmm. to secure, and you're doing it on a massive scale that you know, was unforeseen you know, just 10, 15 years ago. Massive scale unforeseen, yes, and and the future is here. We talk with Ira, I think Ira knows Gray Scott. Our, he's not our resident futurist, but he's on so many Game Changers radio panels that I call him our resident futurist, or one of them. Talks about we always have one toe in the future. It's it's here right now. So the time frame is, uh, what was that, Edie? Um, oh, what was that lady's name? A Templosion. Have you heard of the term Templosion, Jason? Edie Wiener. Edie Wiener. I admit I have not coined the term Templosion. Take a look at it. It's when massive changes are happening in a tighter and tighter time frame where you're saying, wow, when did that happen? And it's all just happening. The the amount of time it takes to make massive changes in our culture, in our connectivity, in our technologies, it's just constricting and it's happening faster and faster. Take a look. I think she wrote a book called Templosion. We did a couple shows on that last year. I taught you something. How about that? And now let me turn to one more topic from, oh, Ira, we're just about at the crystal ball predictions round. But Ira, I want to introduce one thing quickly before I give you each. I think you can each get about 90 seconds for your prediction. Ira, you made one comment here. I think it's uh, tagging along with what Jason just said. Existing networks are not well suited to meet the challenge for the following reasons. And you enumerate performance, reliability, agility, cost, and security. Ira, just one quick comment from you, please, with the growing barrage of high-profile and highly damaging data breaches. It has become apparent that sending anything sensitive over a shared internet even via vpn ah is inherently risky ira quick comment on interconnectivity 
When will we uh, stop listen, being there, at risk? There, there, there are always risks, and and, and there are um, yeah, you know, and it's always a, it's always it's always a battlefield, right? There's a uh, there's increasing ways to improve security, make sure things are more secure, and there's increasingly clever people looking for ways to break down the security. Uh, the point is, of course, that you need to engineer the security into every step in your interconnection. You need to understand it. You need to not take it for granted. Um, you need to make sure that you bring in the right expert who understands how security is going to happen and how your information security is going to be maintained. Um, actually, there was uh, there was a good piece uh, just in the last couple of days in the uh, in the Wall Street Journal um, that talked about what's the biggest uh, the biggest risk to uh, security um, of information, and, if, and it's the same as it, as it's always been, and that's been the people themselves, right? The, the by far the easiest, most common way to break the security of any application is to trick the user who has access to it and find a way to pretend that you are uh, that you are them. And so, um, actually, mm-hmm. the more we can do to help people at the at the end treat information with proper security, not share information they shouldn't be sharing, and be alert to people who um, are getting more and more clever asking you for things uh, that you don't that you shouldn't share with them. Uh, that that tends to be the most important thing that we can do with security. Uh, the other piece is making sure that information is properly encrypted and that you understand the path that it's going to take from the device at the edge of the network to the uh, the database and analytics that are at the core of the network and at every stage in between. Uh, you need to understand those as a designer, um, as an architect, uh, but also you need to help your end users and your end devices maintain their own security. Ira, I'm going back to the quote Jason brought us from Patricia Grainamore, played by Meg Ryan and Joe versus the Volcano. Almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to, only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant total amazement. That was a, I think that was a great way to wrap up this part of the conversation. Jason, did you like that? I did. I always love to hear people quote Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> there you go. Perfect to open and close the show. Jason, I can give you 90 seconds for your predictions. I love the year 2020 just because Baba Wawa has been talking about it for so many years. And now it's just three New Year's Eves away. We can start planning what we're going to drink. Put that champagne on ice, kids. So my question is, what would be different if we had this conversation, you and Ira Burke and I, Jason Sphalos at Equinix, in, uh, in 2020 or around that time frame, what would be different what will change in the interim so give me your predictions 90 seconds go it's a great question and you know some of the original thoughts that i had on this i originally began to think well that's too soon but your example of templosion you know what things are happening so much faster perhaps it's more realistic than i think but my my thoughts are that related to iot interconnected things are going to be pervasively embedded in almost everything we interact with or will continue to be. And they'll range from the generic you know, on-off, good-bad sensor to highly variable data points. But through interconnection, companies will have, as part of their standard contracts that we mentioned earlier, data sharing agreements. That's going to mandate how they're going to work together. We will solve that problem. They will figure out how they're going to ingest this massive data, you know, at dense locations where they can very easily and securely pull it in, parse it, analyze it. Today, they can't do it. I believe by 2020, that's going to be a reality. Mm, thank you very much. Ira Burke, I saved 90 seconds for you, actually closer to 60. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. 
So, uh, so let's just focus on one aspect of this. Let's talk about education and about how we teach people how to develop um, applications and, and analytics in this, uh, in this environment. Uh, because I think that as much as we're uh, teaching people how to, how to write code, how to develop algorithms, how to use uh, interactive analytic tools, I think we're going to need to see more of a focus with more people understanding and appreciating uh, the physical position, the co-locations, the proximity of the information at each step where it's being used. Uh, so as, you know, as, uh, as you think about where you're going to get value from, you're going to think about what information needs to be located, uh, not just in the center at the core and not just at the edge where your device, but at each step along the way. Where are your users located around the world? What are their expectations of accessibility, privacy, protection, and performance? And how do you make these connections happen? How do you deliver uh, the right functionality at each point along the chain of value, right? Something that's not always brought forward, something that might be left to the very end of a design process is going to become much more central, much more core to our design and our thinking about how to deliver value from, uh, from analytics and, 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 and systems in the future, in not in the distant future either. Delivering value. Thank you very much. 2020 is just a, a, just a champagne glass away, Ira Burke. Jason Cephalos, I hope it was a good experience for you. We certainly appreciated your words of wisdom, your great ability to articulate a very big topic along with Ira Burke, our series sponsor. Ira, come back anytime. It's your series. We love having you on. Everybody, if you haven't seen Joe versus, versus the Volcano, that's exactly the title of the movie. 1999, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Go find it. It sounds like a blast. I'm going to volcano blast sorry bad one on my on me uh, i want to say thank you to kevin our engineer at world talk radio the business channel i'll be back at 2 p.m eastern today with another episode live of think big work small with game changers talking about the new marketing balancing act for smes small to mid-size any size company can listen we'll have great information so here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today have a great one bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.